not one who normally shares my dreams. I don't think that God, I don't believe, according to the Word of God, that God speaks through dreams uh, today. I believe God speaks to us through His Word. Amen? But uh, I did have an, just a, kind of an interesting dream last night, just sharing with you. And um, I was back in Texas, and as a youth pastor, and there was some of the youth group that was there, and um, it was all within the context. I, I don't know all the details, but I just know I didn't want to get up and preach because I just kept telling the youth group, I just don't even feel worthy to be preaching from the Bible. And, uh, you know, you wake up from that, and I was up a little earlier this morning just thinking about that because truth of the matter is, I'm not worthy. And what a privileged opportunity we have even to open up God's Word. Amen? And, um, uh, you know, just... Uh, again, I know nothing happens by coincidence, and I know God speaks to us through his word, but sometimes you get a thought in your mind, and, it, and you just, you're thinking on it through the day, and that's, that's, that's been me this morning, just thinking on, and um, I, I've had people ask me, and you know, I say, do, do you get nervous when you get up and speak? Uh, you know, sometimes you're more nervous than others, but uh, uh, when, you, when you put yourself in the presence of God and understanding your unworthiness, it makes you even more nervous, not because of the people, but nervous because... You're in God's hands, and it is God who's, who's working through you. And so pray for me this morning as I pray. You pray and ask in your heart, may God speak to you, and, and may God give to us what he would desire for us to have from his word. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to us this morning. We thank you for the uh, wonderful time of singing this morning, lifting your name up. Thank you for the special music, and Lord, we are thankful for the higher ground that we can stand on. Lord, we thank you that... Uh, we can have the Sunday schools together and study together and grow together in this fashion and, and grow with people of, of, of like faith. And Lord, I pray that you would help us at this very moment as we uh, would open the Word of God and allow you to speak to us. Lord, may you use me as nothing more than a tool in your hands. And Lord, may I say only as you'd have for me to say. May you give me the strength, both physically and spiritually, to do only as you'd have for me to do. Bless us now, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 5, looking in verse number uh, 12, the word of God says, For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of doctrines of baptisms and of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. I want you to notice with me in chapter 6 and verse 1, the Bible says, not laying again the foundation of repentance. I'm sorry, backing up just one, one, uh, one more verse. Verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. Notice that word exercised, to discern both good and evil. And the Bible tells us in verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto, what's that next word? Perfection. Perfection. We understand the passage here in this portion of Scripture is speaking of the growth of the Christian life. And as we are growing in Christ, if we are progressing in our Christian life, we will no longer be simply living off of the elementary truths of the Christian life, but we'll be growing on, we might say, to better things. We'll be able to consume and to digest uh, things that are, uh, that are of meat and not simply of milk, not things that we have started with from, from the moment of receiving Christ. And this is that very, very illustration which is being made. And um, that word exercised is as it, as it is just understood, that we are exercising ourselves to be moving, to be progressing, to be growing from an elementary state of, of spiritual living to a full-grown adulthood state of Christian living. And so that going on to perfection is not to say that we are to become sinless, because we know in our sin nature, as long as we're on this earth, we will always be sinners. And all God's people said, 
Amen. We know that we are sin guilty before God and therefore in need of Christ. But the Bible tells us that we are to be uh, going on into perfection. That is to say, we are to be progressing. We are to be moving forward. We are to be having a greater desire to eat of the meat rather than simply living off of the milk. My uh, boy Caleb is right in that stage of life of um, uh, starting to show interest in solid foods, right? And, uh, you know, he's, what, just a month or so, my wife is saying something like that, of actually starting trying to giving, some, giving him some solid foods. But he's at that point, you know, babies always cry right, right when you sit down to eat. And uh, when you're holding him and you're eating, and he'll just watch your fork every time it goes up to your mouth. And every time you pick up the drink, he's just watching. His head's going up the whole time. You can move it left and right. He's following the whole time. You hover that fork in front of him, and, you know, his reflexes are, are not quite, you know, they're either too fast or too slow. But the hand-eye coordination isn't there. But, so you put something in front of his face, and he's, he's trying to reach for it. doesn't always grab it, but he'll instantly try to reach for it. What that is, is a desire. It's a desire for something more. He's now developing more of an interest in things of life. He's now, I would say, even developing more of an interest in solid foods. And may I say, Christian, there are many, many Christians, and very likely some Christians who are in this very auditorium this morning, who are simply satisfied with living off the milk and or the elementary truths of the Christian life rather than going on unto perfection, rather than growing, rather than desiring something new. And may I say this, the growing individual goes out to reach for something like a child and doesn't always get it the first time. The growing Christian is going to go through those growing pains. And the thing my, my son is going through is he's just starting to turn, roll over, right? He's, he's gotten better about it, but at first he roll over on his stomach and he's like a turtle. He doesn't know how to get back onto his back, you know? So he just sits there, ah! you know, help me get back over, I'm going to die, right? And he just kind of face plants himself into the, into the floor like he's going to die or something. Uh, but but as, as he is figuring things out, okay, those growing pains are now bringing him to a better state in life. May I say, Christians, where we should be, where you should be, where I should be in our Christian life is where we are growing. And in letting ourselves go through the growing pains. We're letting ourselves go through the growing stages of life and, and the Christian life we're speaking of. I'm not saying that, you know, you hit, you hit 60 years old, you learn these things. You learn, hit 70 years old, you learn these things. You hit 80 years old, and you can't do anything. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm talking about spiritually, all right, spiritually. Every day, every moment, every hour of our Christian life, we should be progressing. We should be going on unto perfection. It's not saying we're becoming sinless. It's saying we are seeking to grow in Christ. We're seeking to grow in our Christian life. And here's the hardest part of the pill to swallow, is to be able to uh, admit before God and to ourselves that we aren't able to do something. <laughs> and therefore, because we are not able, we need to learn how and bring ourselves through that learning how stage. The learning how stage is not always the easy part to go through. And that's, that's exactly it. It's the growing pains. But may I say, Christian, we all should be in the point and place in our life when we are growing. Amen? We should all be progressing. But are we willing to place ourselves in the area of needing to grow? In the place of, of being willing to do more for Christ, even if it means learning. Even if it means starting from square one. Even if it means I've never done it before. The growing Christian is always reaching out for more. The growing Christian is always taking that next step in their Christian life. The growing Christian is always examining and asking themselves, is there an area in my life that I can improve, that I can do better, that I can go forward farther for Christ? In some cases, those spiritual growth areas have to do with uh, sins of bitterness or lust or, or, or uh, unforgiveness or you name it. Other, in other cases, they would simply just have to do with learning uh, and, and growing in our Christian life to be able to reach the next generation. And, 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 and trust me, in order to reach the next generation, you have to uh, seek to study and understand where that, that generation is coming from. Looking at the world a whole different way. Maybe the growth in your Christian life is learning how you can be a witness to that next generation, 
that younger generation. And therefore, maybe it's maybe embracing or learning how to use technology more. Maybe it's embracing or learning uh, how to uh, just uh, be patient with them. And um, uh, maybe it's, it's the opposite. Maybe you are the younger generation. Maybe it's you learning from the older and learning from, uh, from what has been taught, what has been passed down, what has been done. And not always be trying to reach for the new, but looking at the foundational things that have been taught and reaching for them and applying them to your life. You see, the growing Christian never says, I don't need that. The growing Christian says, well, I can't do that. The growing Christian says, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Amen? Amen. The growing Christian knows and has confidence that Christ is inside of me, that Christ has empowered me. And so therefore, there is nothing I cannot do without, uh, that, that, that God cannot help me with. And let me clarify this. You may not be able to do something as good as someone else, but it doesn't mean God can't help you to do it. Amen? It doesn't mean God can't help you to do it. And, and so let us as Christians go on into perfection. Turn with me now, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, keeping this thought in mind, the Bible tells us of this perfection, this state of perfection, this state of growth in the Christian life. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, is Paul speaking to the Corinthian believers, and, and he's really starting to hash out to them uh, these areas of growth that he has discerned they need in their life. And so in verse number one is where I want to bring you to. The Bible says um, of, of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number one, we then as workers together with him beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. In the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as ministers of God. And he begins to list these things in patience, afflictions, necessities, distresses. I'm moving faster. Verse 5, stripes, imprisonments, tumults, labors, watchings, fastings, pureness, knowledge, long-suffering, kindness. And the Bible tells us by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, by honor, verse 8, and with a good report. All of these things he's stating, and he's leading up to this point. Notice, as, as, and, I'm, and I'm abbreviating here for sake of time, verse 11. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you. Our heart is enlarged. I'd, I'd mark that phrase if I were you. Our heart is enlarged. You say, where are you going with this? Stay with me. Verse 12. You're not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now, for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Notice verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. There are three be ye's we've just brought out. Verse 13, be ye enlarged. Verse 14, be ye not unequally yoked. Verse 17, be ye separate. Now look with me at verse 1 of chapter 7. Never let yourself stop reading further beyond the chapters that are not inspired, may I remind you, the chapters in the Word of God. Verse 1 is really so connected to chapter 6. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. What's that next word? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The Bible says perfecting holiness. That word perfecting is the same word and the same use as was given in Hebrews chapter 5. The growing Christian. You see, the growing Christian is always seeking and pursuing holiness. The growing Christian is always letting the holiness of God be in the forefront of their mind and therefore the desire and the pursuit of holiness in their own life. He brings out these things to help us understand how, how is it that we can be perfecting holiness in our life? Well, the first of those that is found, as I brought you to, he says in verse number 11, be ye also enlarged. He says, my, uh, we are enlarged and or my heart is enlarged 
So my desire is that your heart the same would be. In verse number uh, 12, he talks about the bowels. The bowels is speaking directly of the heart, the inward parts. He says, my inner love for you is so strong that I love you, Corinthians. I love you, Christians. I've already expressed to you all of these things in just the prior part of the chapter. I've expressed to you all these things in my love that I'm desiring to show you and that we are to you. And here's my desire that you would do also, that you would also let your heart be enlarged. May I say it's only God who can enlarge the heart. Amen? Only God who can enlarge the heart. But do you need your heart broadened? Do you need your heart enlarged? In other words, let me put it this way. Is your heart open to God? Is your heart open to the pursuit of perfecting holiness in your life? Is that your heart's desire? We use the contrast to that of a person having a hardened heart. The person with a hardened heart is someone whose heart is not enlarged. The person with a hardened heart is someone who's not allowing anything to come in. They say there are many Christians in the world today with hardened hearts. The very reason why they're not growing and uh, they're going on into perfection, the very reason why they're not perfecting holiness is because they refuse to see that they have any need for anything else in their life beyond what they already have. They refuse to be told by anyone else. They refuse for God to tell them. They refuse for their, maybe it's their parents to tell them. They refuse for their spouse to tell them. They refuse for anyone else to tell them. They, they, they believe in their own heart that they've got all that they need. That's the hardened heart. The enlarged heart says, God, whatever you have for me. God, if you speak to me, I'll respond. God, if you desire for me to obey you, I'll obey. God, whatever your will is, I'll do what you desire for me to do. This is Paul's, uh, uh, really, uh, his challenge to them. Be also enlarged. Open your hearts. In this case, he's saying, open your hearts up to me. Let me minister to you. Let me do what I can. Paul says, I have so much to give. Here, I've gone through persecution. I've gone through all these things. And I haven't done it all for any other purpose than because I love you in Christ. Let yourself grow. Open your heart up to God. The Bible says our hearts must be open to him. And so with this desire, uh, he, he describes more specifically uh, these things that their heart is to be opened up to. And he gives the first thing that's really found in verse 1. The Bible tells us we are to open our heart up, number one, to the grace of God. Open your heart up to the grace of God. Verse 1 says, when then as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. Now, some misinterpret this passage and try to state that there can be a loss of salvation. Uh, I don't believe that, first of all, uh, God's word never contradicts itself. Amen? Amen? The Bible tells us that grace uh, and God's grace and his mercy is freely given and same as his salvation, and therefore it's freely received, and it cannot be lost. It's eternal. The Bible says in, the, in John chapter number 10 that God places, places us in his hand, and no man can pluck us out. Amen? Our salvation is forever. So someone says, well, what is the interpretation of this passage? I believe it to be, as the Bible says, receive not the grace of God in vain. We know the grace of God to be given freely. Grace is something which we don't deserve. And so therefore, God in his grace, in his love, in his mercy, has given us so much more than we deserve. And Paul's saying, don't let God's grace be in vain. After all that God has done for you in expressing and showing his love, grace, and mercy, and giving it to you freely that you would let yourself have a hardened heart and not receive what he has for you? Enlarge your heart to God. Broaden your heart. Open yourself up to him. Let him speak to you. Let him do a work in your heart. It's, he says, let your hearts be open to the grace of God. And I believe that's no small thing that he tells us in verse 2. Notice the Bible says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, mark this if you haven't marked it, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He says, wait a second, if you've never even received Jesus Christ into your heart, you need to receive God now. Amen? You need to receive God now. And, and look, you may be here this morning, you don't know that you're a Christian. If you've never received salvation, I'll say just the same as Paul says in verse 2, now is the day of salvation. Amen? Now is the accepted time. There is no better time to receive Christ than now. 
And Christian, there is no better time to grow in Christ than now. There is no better time to embrace his grace, love, and mercy than now. Receive it. Embrace it. Open your heart up to it. Let yourself willingly, willingly grow in Christ. It's unfortunate to say that so many Christians, they like to push back, whether it's the preaching or teaching or simply just straightforward the word of God itself. And we refuse to obey, whereas Pharaoh is described having a hardened heart. Is your heart enlarged? Is it opened up to God? Is it opened up to his grace? God is so gracious. Amen? God is so gracious to give us all that he has. Let's not let the grace of God be in vain. God didn't do it all for nothing. God did it out of love. Amen? God died on the cross for you and I. God gave his only begotten son upon this earth. He shed his blood for us. That we would live the Christian life and that all that would be in vain? That God would die for us, that he would offer us eternal life and offer us an opportunity to perfect holiness in our life, and yet we push it off like it's nothing important. And yet we continue on with our lives and just keep living it like we want to do what we want to do. Well, this is important to me. Well, this is more important than these things of God. We put church as secondary. We put our Bible reading as secondary. We put our prayer time as secondary. Family devotions as secondary. All those things get pushed aside, ultimately because of a hardened heart. The Bible says, let your heart be open. That the grace of God would not be in vain. Notice the second thing. The Bible says that your heart would be opened and without offense. Without offense. Verse 3, giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. Now, in this context, he's speaking and referring to himself. But I'll remind you that that's as he says in verse 11. He says, our hearts... He's speaking of he and the other believers who are there with him. Our heart is enlarged. He's expressing his love. Our heart is open to the grace of God, and so yours should be also. Our heart is open to the extent that we are living without offense. And what does that word offense mean? It means occasion of stumbling. I, I at first interpreted this to mean, well, he's somebody who's blameless. Not exactly. The offense is speaking of, in the case of being sure that what you're doing, because remember, he's speaking to Christians, being sure that what you are doing in the Christian life would not lead others to stumble. That's the specific he's speaking of here, not of offense, that the, that the, the ministry be not blamed, that others would not say, it's because of that ministry, it's because of that pastor, it's because of the Christians of that church that I'm not going to do these things in my life without offense. It's not just simply living a blameless life. It's specifically the individual who knows they carry the very name of God in every part of their life, and as they're seeking to pursue and to perfect holiness in their life, that they're being conscious of what they're preaching, what they're teaching, and how they're living, that they would not offend others. How many pastors we know that have so hurt others all across the world out of mistakes which they've done in ministry and, and failures, and therefore that person said, I'm never going to church again. I don't want anything to do with God. How many Christians we know that because of the way they chose to live their life, or how many parents we know because of the way that they chose to lead their homes, how many people we know in our life that because of the choices they made in life, it caused others to stumble. The Bible tells us, let your heart be opened to such the extent of of perfecting holiness in your life that you would not that you would not lead others down into a road of sin. We, we learned this morning in Sunday school uh, the responsibility of a father and how that the father is to lead the home. And in the midst of, uh, of the father leading the home, uh, understanding that if a father trains his children right, then uh, his children will follow right in his steps. And they'll train their children just the same way and, and on and on and on. We understand the very, the, the very same principle applies to every Christian. That as we follow the teachings of Christ, that we would not allow ourselves to become in any question, but that what we're doing as Jesus came down to this earth, that what we're doing is for the will of the Father. Because God has told us that is what we should do. It's because what we've been taught, it's because of what we've been shown from God's word, and so we're following the leading and the teaching and, and, and the instruction that God has given to us in his word, our heavenly father. The Bible tells us without offense, 
Let me ask you, Christian, is your ministry and or your Christian life that you're living, is it without offense? You say, well, I've made some mistakes. We've all made mistakes. So my kids, they're not doing the right thing. What about you? So you made mistakes. Maybe there's some things you say, I didn't parent as well as I could. And there's no perfect parent that's out there. Let me tell you, I'm just a young parent, and I know that. There's no perfect parent out there. God forgives. God can still use. You, no, one, no one is ever disqualified from being used of God. And let me say, there are some things, specifics God gives us we can be disqualified from. But no individual can ever be disqualified from being used of God. Amen? God is capable of using anybody when their heart is open and willing to do his will. God is capable of doing anything through that person's life. Can that be said of you, that you're so living a life that's without offense, that your brothers and sisters could say, hey, the life that they're living, the ministry that they're living in their life is without question. It, w it, wouldn't, it wouldn't cause their own children to say, wow, why aren't they doing that more? Why aren't they doing what they should? It wouldn't cause their, their own friends, their own neighbors to question and say the very same. The Bible tells us without offense. Notice the next thing the Bible tells us, approve yourself. We are to open our heart to God that it would be to, to, uh, that it would be to the grace of God. That it would be without offense. And that it would be approving ourselves, verse 4, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. You see, Paul is, is describing that he has proved himself to be a genuine apostle by the very things that he endured to bring the message of salvation. That's why I, you could summarize these however you want to, but I've summarized them this way. In verse 4 and 5, he tells them of the trials which he endured. In verse number 6 through 7, he tells them of the tools he used in his ministry. In verse 8 through 10, he tells them of the testimony which he bore for Christ. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, Our heart is enlarged, and so yours should also. Let me ask you, Christian, can you be, would you be approved before God? Could God even say now of you, well done, thou good and faithful servant? You've been serving faithfully. You are pursuing and seeking to perfect holiness in your life. You are without offense. You are not letting the grace of God be in vain. Could that be said about you? Oh, Christian, if there would be any doubt, if there would be any hesitation, if there would be any question marks in your mind, you've got some dealing to do with God. And look, may I remind you, the very time we, we open this invitation and open this altar up is for you to come and kneel before Christ. We have the pews so you can sit and receive. We have the altar so you can kneel and pray. Christian, if that would be said of you, that your heart is not open to God, well, you need to respond to him. Notice the second thing here the Bible tells us, to separate unto God. The whole idea of separation is talked about in this very context, but he's being very specific here in his separation. Verse 14, the Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together, with unbelievers. I'll remind you our context. We're talking about perfecting holiness. How do we do that? We open our heart to God. Number two, we separate unto God. The Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I think we've got enough farmers in this room to understand what a yoke is and the linking together and the drawing together of, uh, especially in Bible times, uh, of the, the ox or, or, or the donkeys. You're, you're bringing them together. You're linking them together that they would be in unison together. The Bible tells us we are not to be yoking or linking ourselves together with those who are not living for Christ. A separation from the world. A separation from those who are living for things of this world. I, I've, as a youth pastor, you see teenagers that the, very, the strongest fault that works against them is their own friends and their own non-Christian friends. If you're, you're single here and the Lord has not uh, allowed you to be married just yet in your life, you'd be absolutely certain that that person's a believer and knows Christ before you ever consider marrying them. Amen? If you're a faithful Christian living for God and you, some of your closest friends are not Christians, you be careful. It's a whole lot easier for someone to pull you down than it is for you to pull them up. If I were to have somebody stand here, and I'm not going to, but say, okay, uh, why don't you try to pull me down and I'm going to try to pull you up? I wouldn't win. 
Okay? They've got everything better on their hand. And that's really how it works spiritually. You may think that you're going to pull somebody up. Hey, you can, extend the, you can extend an invitation. You can give a gospel track. You can share the gospel. But they've got to take the, make the choice to step up. They've got to make the choice to come, come to Christ. You're not going to pull them up. So here's what uh, it, it simply appears that the Corinthian believers are doing. They're letting themselves become too close with the unbelievers. Maybe it's a friend at work. Maybe it's a neighbor. Not to say you can't be friendly to them. It's not to say you can't share the love of Christ with them. But don't let them become your closest friends. Hey, your closest friends should be other believers. Amen? It's unfortunate to say that for some church members, their closest friends aren't in the church. Your closest friends should be the very people who have the unity in Christ together with you. The very thing that draws you together and makes you friends is because you know Jesus Christ together and that you're both knowing you're, you're bound for all eternity to be with Christ in heaven because you received his salvation by faith. That's what should draw us together. That's the people to whom we should be yoked together with. And so the Bible tells us we are to separate. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10, the Bible says, Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. In, in the Old Testament, the ox was a clean animal to the Jews, but the donkey, on the other hand, was not. And so the description that's made in the book of Deuteronomy as the law is being described, you should not plow the two together because one is unclean and one is not. When you put something unclean, you put a bad apple in with a bunch of good apples, what's going to happen? All the other apples are going to go bad. And I say, Christian, it works in the same way in the Christian life. Some of us as Christians spend more time with the unbelievers than we do with our, with our fellow believers in Christ. You say, well, that's just because of work. Let me tell you, the, the Christian who's seeking to perfect holiness in their life is always placing themselves in the place in which they can grow. The Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. The people you should be spending the most time with in your life are Christians. Amen? Should be fellow believers. And it may even be that you, you know, I, I've known people to do this. They even said, you know what? I've stopped working there because the environment in that workplace is so ungodly. It's so unchristlike. I don't want anything to do with it. It frustrates me. It, it, it drives me crazy. Maybe you've done that yourself already. The very, the very principle is this, is that it doesn't work. You can't have some of the world and some of Christ. And friendships, you can't have a, a friend that's closer to you uh, that doesn't know Christ and expect yourself to bring them, expect you, your ability and, and your skill in sharing the gospel to bring them fully to Christ. Now, hey, God uses people, and God can use you to get the gospel to the unbeliever. But if you're out, you know, uh, sipping uh, hot chocolate and coffee down at the, uh, at the diner, and that's where you're spending hours and hours of your time over periods of time, and you're not spending any time with believers, you're pulling yourself down further than you're pulling yourself up. Because the Christian who's perfecting holiness is always sharpening themselves. I'm not saying you can't have other friends who are unbelievers. I have good friends, and my wife does also. Even some friends who are believers, they're not living for Christ as they should be doesn't mean I just simply ignore them. I disown them. I don't know you. I'm not going to talk to you. That's wrong. That's sin. Amen? But we should be seeking to be around those who can sharpen us, who can strengthen us, who can bring us, help to bring us to that next step. We got a number, I would say nearly 50%, if not more, of our congregation is second, third generation. You should be letting yourself be sharpened by the first generation. Amen? And hey, Maybe you're that older generation. There's never, again, we never should come to the point in place in our life where we can't learn anything. Let yourself learn and grow from the younger. The Bible tells us, again, iron sharpeneth iron. Be ye not unequally yoked. We are to separate ourselves. There is to be that area of separation. Amos 3, verse 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? When we think of Abraham, God telling Abraham to separate from his old life, it was Lot who did just the opposite. Rather, choosing a life of separation, yet he chose fortune and to bring his family with him. And because he ignored this very principle of separation, in the end, it brought destruction. He lost it all. He lost his family. He lost his fortune. He lost his friends. It was all gone. We all know the story of Lot, you know, his, his wife turning around, turning into a pillar of salt. 
I'm not saying your spouse is going to turn into a pillar of sugar or something like that, okay? Uh, but, but I am saying that if you are not seeking to pursue and to perfect holiness in your life, you cannot expect the blessing of God on your family, on your fortune, you name it, any part of your life. The Bible tells us the growing Christian is separated from the world. Look at verse 14 through 16. I want you to mark these, these words if you're in a habit of marking your Bible. The Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship, underline that word, hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion, underline that word, hath light with darkness? And what concord, there it is again, hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement, there it is again, hath the temple of God with idols? The Bible tells us that each of these words speak of having something in common. Speak of having something in common. Who do you have the greatest commonality with? The first that it should be is God. The second it should be with believers. But it's unfortunate to say that our greatest commonalities in some cases can be with unbelievers, or in some cases it's with believers, but it's with things of this world. That word concord is a particularly uh, interesting word for me because it means uh, literally harmony. If you got a bunch of instruments together, I know there's, there's hiding instrument players in here. Okay? I've heard of you, but I haven't approached you. Not yet, anyway. Okay? Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, but if we got a bunch of instruments together, and they all played together, but they were all playing a different piece, you would say, that sounds terrible. It sounds like an absolute disaster. But if played and following a sheet of music or playing the same in harmony together, you would say, wow, that's beautiful. Everything goes right together. It, it sounds great. So the Christian life is described in the very same way that when we are in harmony together as Christians, we're also going to be in harmony together with God. There's not going uh, to be anything that is keeping us uh, separated from Christ because the harmony in our life is with God himself. Amen? So the separation is seeking to have harmony. It's seeking to, to bring a beautiful sound spiritually, a beautiful sound out of the relationships which we have in life. No matter what context it may be, fellowship, communion, concord, agreement, the Bible tells us in all these things, as we are together, that we are perfecting holiness. We're perfecting holiness. Notice verse 16, the Bible says, In what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye, I've underlined this in my Bible, ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. What a privilege that is, amen? God lives inside of us, amen? That's a wonderful thing. God lives inside of us. The Bible says we, we hold in our very bodies, we hold the Holy Spirit inside of us. He lives inside of us. We're his temple. That's where he dwells. But how dare we live our life however we please and let the grace of God be in vain? How dare we live our life however we please and we hurt the very name of God? We offend the very ministry of God. We ignore the very separation that God has so commanded us in his word to live by. Christian, if you're living a life and you know that you're not separated from the world, God says, be ye separates. Be ye separates. Are you separated from the world in your marriage? Are you separated from the world in your home? Are you separated from the world in your individual life? That we would live our lives so flippantly. That we would live our lives like we can just do whatever we want to do. But God lives inside of you. So that gives you the reason that you can uh, shack up with another individual and just live together without getting married? So that gives you the right to be able to just uh, drink alcohol whenever you want to drink it? That gives you the right to be able to spend time with those people, even though you may not be doing it, but you're closest friends with those, that, those types of people? Nowhere in the scripture does it ever tell us that those things are right. God says, be separate. The Holy Ghost dwells inside of you. That we would sit with our bodies, the temple of the Holy Ghost, sit on our living room couch and watch an R-rated movie that's so vulgar and that's so full of uh, adultery and that's so full of lust, so full of sins, and ingest it all like it's nothing. And yet God says, the Holy Spirit's inside of you the whole time. 
and you're just ignoring it. The Bible says, be separate. We've got some teenagers in this room. Let me ask you, teenagers, are you separated? Are you separated from this world? The unfortunate thing to say is that many teenagers seek to be separated from their parents. God says, be ye separated from the things of this world. The very people who are trying to help you to grow, teenagers, I'm talking to you, the very people who are trying to help you to grow in Christ, your godly parents, the people who are trying to get you in church, the people who are trying to teach you to bring your Bible, people who are trying to teach you to memorize verses, the people who are trying to teach you how to pray, they're trying to help you grow. They're trying to help you to perfect, perfect in holiness. And yet we think we can live our life as we please. Lock our doors, shut our doors, and, 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 and just close ourselves off from everyone and everything else. The Bible says, be ye separate from the world. Oh, Christian, may we not separate ourselves from one another. Amen? Because it is we as brethren and sister and in Christ, we need one another. It is that we grow together. And by the way, growth doesn't happen by a bunch of people sitting in different seats and no one talks to each other. We all sit by ourselves. Growth happens when we're letting the iron sharpen iron. We're discipling. It's that principle of disciples discipling others. You're a follower of Christ and you're teaching others how also to follow Christ. Let me tell you, we need more disciples who will disciple others. Amen? If you don't have a Timothy in your life you're seeking to invest, you need to get one. You should be having one. The Bible tells us, be separate. Let me give you the last thing here. The Bible says, purify yourself. Purify yourself. Verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. He says again in verse 1 of chapter 7, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us clean, cleanse ourselves, notice, from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. You understand what the flesh and spirit is? There are things that are fleshly. This is flesh, okay? This is my flesh, that which I do with my flesh. That which is of the spirit is as in a spirit of bitterness, a spirit of unforgiveness, a, a wrong uh, uh, spirit of, of disrespect. The Bible tells us we are to remove ourselves, cleanse ourselves from all of it. I take in parentheses and, and big bold emphasize that word all. Because God nowhere in Scripture tells us that there should be any acceptable amount of sin left in our life. But yet we so live our lives as we please. Let me ask you, Christian, are you seeking to perfect holiness? The Bible says, purify yourself before God. Isaiah 52, verse 11, the Word of God says, Depart ye, depart ye, go out from hence, touch not the unclean thing. Go ye out from the midst of her, be ye clean that beareth the vessels of the Lord. You say, I'm a believer in Christ, then why aren't you separating from the world? Why are you living like the world? Why are you living as you please? You know what's right. What's holding you back? <laughs> your heart. That's what Paul is saying. Enlarge your heart. Open your heart up to God. Open your ears. Let God speak to you. Stop resisting. Your conviction is that very thought that crosses your mind and that says, you know what, maybe I'll go up to the altar. Nah, no one else is going. It's the very thought that says, you know what, maybe he's got a point. Nah, I don't want to do it. That's resisting the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who causes those thoughts to cross your mind. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us to discern. The Bible tells us even the Bible itself is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That as the word of God is taught, is preached, is read, that the Holy Spirit would walk inside of you and discern through your conscience. Your conscience doesn't speak to you. The Holy Spirit speaks through your conscience. The Holy Spirit speaks to you and helps you to discern what you need to get right. So many Christians have discerned it. They're under conviction, but they refuse to respond. The area of purifying is touching it not. Don't even look at it. Stop laying a finger on it. What are you, what are you playing with sin for? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. How dare we live our Christian life and, and, and let the grace of God be in vain. God died for you to make the Holy Spirit possible to live inside of you. And yet you think all these sins are okay. This is what Paul is saying. Purify yourselves. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 34, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. You say, why are you reading that for? Because let me remind you something, Christian. 
in the midst of separation and separating from the world, we should not isolate ourselves from the world. Amen? Some Christians are so separated that they do nothing with the world. They, they, don't, they, they don't go out soul winning. They hardly give out gospel tracts. They hardly even review the gospel in their own heart because they say, oh, I'm so concerned about how I dress. I'm so concerned about what I say. I'm so concerned about how I'm living. And they're more concerned about their own separation than about teaching others how to separate from the world the same. The Bible tells us we are to be separated from the world, but not isolated from. We're to be separated as in separated unto God, but separated from the world. Amen? Uh, I heard it once said this way. We are to be separating unto God, uh, in, 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 or, or we are to be rather insulated in Christ and not isolated from the world. Insulation brings and keeps the warmth inside. One thing these walls do not have, if you notice, sometimes it gets a bit chilly in here. There's no insulation really in between there. And with that insulation is what keeps the warmth and the cold inside. And, and the Bible tells us we are to be insulated in Christ. We're keeping him there. We're keeping the warmth. We're keeping the fire going. <laughs> We're keeping the fire of the Holy Spirit going inside of our life. Purify yourself before God. The pure Christian, number one, rests on God's promises. He rests on God's promises. Look at verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among you, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and here's the promise, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. What does God promise? He promises to recognize us as his children. Say, wait a second, I thought I'm already a child of God. Well, you are. But the Bible says if, when you live your life without any separation, I don't know you. Now, not, he's not saying that you lose your salvation. He says, I'm not recognizing you as a child of God. You're living like the world. The Bible talks about uh, even those individuals that have, have, given, have been given up to a reprobate mind. They want nothing to do with Christ. Let me ask a Christian, may it not be said of you, May it not be said of you that God would say, that person is not living like my child. I don't know you. God says, here's the blessing. Here's the blessing. You live a separated life. You perfect holiness in your life. Here's a promise. I'll receive you. You can come into my home. I'll be a father to you. I'll love you. I'll teach you. So you've never done that before. I'll get the bottle out. I'll hold your head. I'll help to bottle feed you. Oh, you've never, you've never eaten those kinds of foods before. I'll, I'll, I'll help to feed you solid foods. I'll help to show you how, as a father does, as a parent does. That's a blessing. Amen. That's a promise. Christian, the individual who's perfecting holiness is so pure before God that they're resting on God's promises. They're resting on it. I'm satisfied. I need nothing else. I've got all I need. I'm a heavenly father who loves me. He cares for me. And the great story about the prodigal son, the greatest, uh, in my opinion, the greatest part of that story is when the Bible tells us that the father was waiting for the son. And what did he do? He hugged him the very first time he saw him. He didn't say, son, how dare you? <laughs> no. It's a picture of Christ. The Bible says the very first thing he did, he was waiting with open arms. He took him in. Put a ring on his back, put shoes on his feet, kill the fatty calf. My son is home. And Christian, maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you've allowed yourself to, as the prodigal son, to live a life of righteous living. You are a child of God, but you're resisting. You know what's right, but you're not doing. Purify. The pure Christian, number two, is perfecting holiness. Notice the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy, just a couple more passages and I'm done. 1 Timothy chapter 6. The pure Christian is perfecting holiness. Yes, the pure Christian rests in God's promises, but as he's perfecting, you say, well, that's the whole context. Understand you can't understand, you can't know how to perfect holiness until you first understand how to separate. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, 
they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow notice after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Let me ask you, Christian, perfecting holiness, is that you? Some of us, we can hardly go further than righteousness. Maybe you don't have kids who are living in your home right now. But let's just say you did. Let's say your kids are, are, are young again, or maybe you're, you don't have kids, you do. And kids look up at you and say, Dad, Mom, why aren't we going to church? It's Sunday. Dad, Mom, why does the preacher say we need to read our Bibles? We don't. Dad, Mom, why, 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 does, why does the Bible say we're not supposed to be doing these things, but that's what you're doing? What do we really think about when a child asks us those things? We have a heavenly Father, we being the child of God. We just ignore, we just ignore his fatherly love. Have you erred from the faith? Are you coveting after the things of this world, 1 Timothy 6 tells us? Or are you following after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness? The pure, pure Christian, lastly, is fearing God. The Bible says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see, it's when we lose sight. What is, fear, what is the fear of God? It's acknowledgement of who God is and all that he's done for you. And now what you're doing is a response of love. Fearing God is responding in action out of love for knowing who God is. It's not a shriveling behind something. I know who God is. I know what he's done for me. And now what I'm doing with my life is because I love God. That's fear. That's fear of God. The Bible tells us we are to perfect holiness in the fear of God. Because you can't truly perfect holiness if you've got a wrong view of God. You realize that David would have never committed the sin that he did with Bathsheba had he had a right fear of God at that point in time in his life. What he had done is he let his guard down. He stopped pursuing and seeking to perfect holiness. We know David is a great man that he is. Yes, he committed that sin, but did God stop using him? No. And all the psalms that he's written, all the things that have helped us to grow in our Christian life, my point is this, Christian, you may feel that you have failed. Maybe you have committed a sin. Maybe you have done something you feel like, wow, I've not separated. Man, I feel absolutely terrible. The Bible says we serve an all-forgiving God. Amen? God loves you. God cares for you. His grace is not in vain. So don't live your life as though it is. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody's looking around. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Piano's not playing. The organ's not playing. Just us and the Lord. Nobody's looking around. We're doing business with God. You're here this morning and say, Pastor Miller, God's spoken to my heart. I realize I have not been living separated as I should be. God's spoken to me in that way. If, you're, if that is you, would you be honest and put your hand up right back down? Anyone like that? I see that hand. Thank you. Can I pray for anyone else? I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Pray for me also, Pastor Miller. 